Welcome to the Word at First Prez. The sermon you're about to hear is not part of a regular sermon series. It stands on its own and can be instructive to our Christian faith in its own way, even though it's not linked to other sermons. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading today, it comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. But as for you, teach what is consistent with sound doctrine. Tell the older men to be temperate, serious, prudent, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, tell the older women to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanderers or slaves to drink. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, chaste, good managers of the household, kind, being submissive to their husbands, so that the word of God may not be discredited. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, gravity, and sound speech that cannot be censured. Then any opponent will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. Tell slaves to be submissive to their masters and to give satisfaction in every respect. They are not to talk back, not to pilfer, but to show complete and perfect fidelity, so that in everything they may be an ornament to the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He it is who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. Declare these things, exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one look down on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture comes to us from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, and chapter 6, verse 19, 19 through 21. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then chapter 6. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is the final week of my two-week sermon series called Not Genesis, where we do not talk about the car from Hyundai, the band that sang Throwing It All Away and I Can't Dance, 
And we do talk about the thousands of stories and lessons found in all the other 65 books of the Bible that are not Genesis. (laughs) It's been a long sermon series, I know, and so I thank you for sticking with me through it. Today we're going to be talking about the scriptures that we just read from Matthew and Titus, and I'll be throwing some extra scriptures in there too, but I promise you, none of them are from Genesis. The thing that, you know what, I was right last week, it is much more fun when he's here. Just feels better. The thing that actually spoke to me this past week and made me want to preach this sermon was a video clip I saw from a pastor in Tennessee. This man, Greg Locke, went on a nonsensical rant during his church's worship service on August 1st. I'll spare you from watching the clip, but if you're just too curious about his remarks, here's some of what he said. He said that the Delta variant is nonsense, that people won't wear masks in his congregation, that his congregation should not get vaccinated, that Joe Biden's days are numbered, and that the only people who think the election wasn't fraudulent are, quote, crack-smoking, demon-possessed leftists, end quote. Whenever I see clips like this from my fellow pastors, be it Greg Locke or Creflo Dollar or Kenneth Copeland, I think to myself, how can we possibly be under the same faith umbrella? How can I, who hold vastly, vastly different beliefs than these pastors, be worshiping the same God, be following the same Jesus, be reading the same book? And this is where, of course, I say to myself, well, those pastors must be picking and choosing the verses and texts that they can spin and corrupt into whatever they want them to be. And then my mind goes somewhere uncomfortable, somewhere I don't like to stay very long, but somewhere where I think we need to linger this morning. My mind says, well, don't you also pick and choose Bible verses that you'll adhere to and ones that you think can be left behind? And I say, shut up, mine. No one wants to hear from you. (laughs) But I think that it's important that we take a truthful look at how we look at the Bible and how we use it in our personal and communal faith. So that's what we're going to do this morning. The first step in this process is admitting that we all pick and choose which Bible verses we like and which ones we think we no longer need. In order to do this, we need to look no further than our scripture from Titus. Titus is one of those New Testament books that we hardly ever, if ever, get preached on. It's not in the lectionary, which I talked about last week. You don't have to preach on Titus. And there's actually good reason for that. In this one chapter, we have Paul, well, actually, we have disciples of Paul. See, back in the day, if you were a disciple of someone, you could write in their name and no one batted an eye. So we have disciples of Paul writing to Titus and giving some instructions, such as, older men should be temperate, serious, prudent, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. 
So far, not so bad, right? He continues, Older women should be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or drunks. Teach what is good. Encourage young women to love their husbands and children and be self-controlled, chaste, managers of the household, kind and submissive to their husbands. Not as good. (laughs) And quick side note, why is it whenever there's a list of rules, the men's list is always considerably shorter than the woman's? It is a good question, Judy, (laughs) but I digress. Suddenly, this letter is going into uncomfortable and oppressive territory. But one of the main reasons why Titus is not preached on is because of the statement made in verse number 9. Verse 9 says, Tell slaves to be submissive to their masters and to give satisfaction in every respect. They are not to talk back. This verse was used in the early days of America to say, one, slavery is fine, and two, to keep slaves submissive and obedient because it's God's will. It's in the Bible. Which we know now, and don't get it twisted, many knew then, is wrong. But TC, I hear in the back of my head, that's just one book. They can't all be hits. That's an outlier. (laughs) True, but let's dive deeper and into other books. The book that blows this all the way open for me is Leviticus. This is a source of so many conflicts in the church. Because it is in Leviticus that you find the line, a man should not lie with another man as with a woman. That particular verse is in chapter 18, and it's been used time and time again to marginalize and oppress and demonize our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. But what I want to do is look at chapter 19. Instead of reading all of it, because there's a lot of I am the Lord your gods in it and punishments for breaking the rules, I have conveniently listed all of the rules, well, most of the rules for you in this chapter. And I'm going to read them off in case you can't see the screens. Number one, revere your mother and father. Strong start. Just ask any mother or father in here. That's the rule that you need to lead off with. (laughs) Keep the Sabbath. Do not make idols or cast images of yourself. Offer sacrifices to God. When you reap your land or harvest your vineyard, leave a portion of it for the poor and the immigrant to have as they pass through. Don't steal. Don't deal falsely with others. Don't lie. Don't swear to God falsely. Don't defraud your neighbor. Don't steal again. Pay your workers. Don't mistreat the deaf and blind. Don't be partial to the poor or the rich. Judge people justly. Don't slander others. Don't profit by the bloodshed of others. Don't hate anyone in your family. Keep each other in check so that nobody breaks the rules. Don't hold a grudge or take vengeance. Love your neighbor as yourself. Animals cannot breed with different kinds. So anyone in here with a labradoodle, you're on thin ice. Don't sow your field with two different kinds of seed, one field, one crop. 
Don't wear clothes made from two different materials. Don't eat anything with blood in it. Don't cut your hair at the temples or your beard at the edges. Don't get tattoos. Stand up before your elders and defer to the old. When an alien or foreigner or dare I add an immigrant is in your land, don't oppress them, but treat them as a citizen. Love the immigrant as yourself. Be honest. Holy moly. That's a lot of rules. And I actually left a good chunk of that chapter out. And that's only one chapter in the book. If you paid attention a couple of years ago when Alex did a sermon series on Mark, he told you how many laws were in the Old Testament. Does anyone here happen to remember? Do you remember? 613. I'm glad you remember because I didn't. I was, I'm just kidding. It's written down there. I remember. <laughs> and yet most of those laws we no longer abide by. Why is that? Isn't that picking and choosing? Even me, I have tattoos. I eat my steaks medium. I wear clothes with mixed fabrics. I cut my hair. I'm okay on the beard one. For, for now, but I, I do cut my hair. I work on the Sabbath. I'm working right now. And even though he is my elder by a large, large margin, I hardly ever stand up when Alex comes into a room. <laughs> I, along with many other Christians, like to say that, well, those are the old ways. When Jesus came, he obliterated that. All we need to do now is believe in Jesus and not be a jerk. But even that is picking and choosing. Because in our scripture from Matthew today, Jesus said he didn't come to erase a single stroke of the law or the prophets. My professor in seminary said it, the better translation is not a jot or a tittle. A tittle is an accent mark or a mark denoting a vowel. Here's some examples of them in Hebrew. Technically, the dot over the lowercase i or the lowercase j in English is also a tittle. Learned something today, didn't you? <laughs> That's all they're going to remember from this whole sermon. <laughs> I know what a tittle is. Not one jot or tittle. Jesus didn't come to change even the smallest of marks in our law or the prophets. Jesus didn't come to revoke the law, but we still act as though he did. We pick and choose what we want to follow and what we want to believe. The first hard step is admitting it. I think I've made a very fair case for the fact that we all do this, yes? The second hard step is, why? Why do we pick and choose? Is it possible to not pick and choose? Can we hold up the entire Bible? I think we pick and choose because even the authors of the Bible did this. The Bible starts with two separate creation stories, Genesis 1 and 2, written about 400 years away from each other. God looks vastly different in each. 
as do the humans, and how creation happened. This isn't the only example either. In the New Testament, did Jesus feed 4,000 or 5,000? Who was at the tomb on Easter morning? Is it more important to believe in Jesus or to act like Jesus in the world? Are you allowed to eat anything or are there restrictions? You can find all of these disagreements in our scriptures. So how could one go about following all of it? To me, the reason that this happens, the reason that even our scriptures have differing opinions and stories is because we're dealing with the unknown. Faith, by its definition, is something you cannot know. As soon as you know it, it's no longer faith. I don't have faith that this pulpit is here. I know it. So because you cannot fully know, we rely on beliefs and guesses, which feels a little uncomfortable to say, but that is the reality of faith. So where are we? One, we all pick and choose. Two, we do this because none of us really know, even those of us who went to school for it. None of us can definitively say what we know for a fact in our beliefs. Which leads me to three. What does that mean? What does it mean that none of us have a definitive answer for which scriptures should be followed and which can be disregarded? I guess it means that all of our interpretations of scripture, all of our beliefs around why we do what we do, are intrinsically flawed. Which makes sense, because we're flawed. The writers of our scriptures were flawed humans. And when the writers are flawed and the interpreters are flawed, you're going to get flawed beliefs. Does that mean that God cannot work through our scriptures? No. I believe that God works through flawed things all the time. In fact, I think that God has had to work through flawed things for as long as humanity has been around. But this gets, gets me to my deeper question and the point I want to make this morning. If we all pick and choose because none of us has a definitive answer and thus everyone's interpretation is at least, at the very least, slightly flawed, then the only question left is, why are we picking and choosing what we're picking and choosing? Why are you choosing to hold up the things that you are holding up and not other things? To use my example from earlier, those who still use Leviticus and the five other clobber passages in the Bible that say being LGBTQ plus is a sin, why are they holding those six verses up in the entirety of the Bible? Do you know how many verses there are in the Bible? 31,103. We're talking about six verses out of 31,103. That's one one-hundredth of one percent of the Bible. Why fixate on those six and not the ten times more 60 verses about divorce? Or the 100 verses about welcoming the stranger and treating the alien and foreigner 
Why choose to fixate and rally and hold up signs about that topic specifically? I think it's because the Bible is a type of divine mirror. It shows you what's already in your heart. When you ignore certain things and focus on other things, you're showing where your emotional location is. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think that that's true not just of money, but of what you hold dear in your heart and mind. If you already hold that LGBTQ plus is somehow wrong or against nature or just icky, then you can hear a sermon about loving your neighbor and treating people as you want to be treated and that same day express big love the sinner, hate the sin energy as you wait for your nuggets in the Chick-fil-A drive through and not see any issue with that. Since we're all the heroes of our own stories, we tend to see our ways as the best ways. Being very aware of this, I'm going to tell you how I have rectified this issue in myself. I laid out earlier many different verses talking about a single subject. Homosexuality has six, divorce has 60, treating foreigners correctly has 100. But do you know the single most talked about topic in the Bible? The thing that is mentioned by name between 500 and 700 times depending on translation. It's love. Love, in all its different forms, is mentioned more than any other topic in the Bible. Love your neighbor, love your enemy, love the Lord, love each other. God is love. When we have 66 books written by more than 66 different people over a period of over a thousand years, to me, something that comes up one one-hundredth of one percent of the time is not something that I need to focus on, but something that comes up over and over again throughout the entirety of the Bible, from cover to cover. That is something that needs attention. That's something worth centering your beliefs around, and so that's what I do. Everything else goes through the lens of love. It goes through that filter. It's the most important and populous topic in our scriptures. So if I choose that, if I choose that topic, then I have the majority of the message picked up. So when I hear scriptures like slaves obey your masters and that doesn't jive with love, then love trumps that verse. When I hear that divorce is wrong and that women should be stoned if they attempt to divorce their husband, and that goes against what love says, love wins. When I hear that we should treat immigrants as citizens and share what we have with them so that they don't starve, and that seems pretty loving to me, into my beliefs it goes. This, to me, is the best way of rectifying the scriptures in my heart. The most important part of our faith, the most important topic in our scriptures. If something doesn't align with that, then it's not something that needs to be central to my beliefs. Is this the best way? For me it is. Is this the right way? For me it is. Is it the only way? No. 
But today, I want to end with the question that I said a little while ago. We all pick and choose what scriptures we are going to follow. But why are you picking and choosing what you're picking and choosing? And why is that thing so central to your faith? I pray you ponder this in your heart and mind throughout the rest of this week and beyond. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.